Good morning. Bill did an excellent job last week sharing with us about the new resurrection. Y'all remember that? One of the things I loved about that sermon was something that I hadn't really thought of in that way. And he said this, he said, the new resurrection wasn't so much that, that Jesus was able to bring people back to life. It wasn't just about that, that, that he had that power, but rather the new resurrection spoke to a new reality for the people who put their faith in Jesus, that those people would be raised never to die again in the presence of God forever. That was amazing for me. Today, what I want us to look at is this, that along with this big bang and all the new realities that came into existence, we see the church and we see a church that is growing, growing very quickly. And as we read in Acts chapter 2, it becomes increasingly evident, it becomes very clear that there is a mission that is inherent to the church. We see the church growing leaps and bounds. It's, it's, it's almost as if there was all this pent-up energy and bam, we're off to the races. The church just explodes in growth. It grows so fast. <laughs> That's my son going dada. <laughs> the church grows so fast that there is very little infrastructure to support it. What we see the disciples doing is this. They're meeting in each other's homes. They're meeting in Solomon's colonnade, listening to the apostles' teaching, dedicating themselves to the breaking of bread, to prayer. They're living these lives together. They're also selling all of their possessions to ensure that none of their members suffers a need. And so we see the church doing all of these things that, that the world looks on them and goes, this is unlike anything we have ever seen before. In fact, it was unlike anything that the world had witnessed before, unlike anything in the history of God's story. The church explodes with growth, and there is a mission that is driving that growth, and that mission says this, all are welcome at God's table. All are welcome at God's table. Now, what, what does that mean? Why do I say that? Well, because if you've spent any time considering the people of God under the old covenant, you, you know that the blessings of God, the presence of God, the provision of God was available to the Jewish people in a special, exclusive way. Now, God has always been a God of all the nations, but He cultivated this special relationship with the Jewish people. He gave them His law. He told them the things that He likes, the things that He dislikes, the things that He loves, the things that are an abomination to Him, the way they ought to worship Him, the way they ought to treat one another, treat their strangers, and, and people fleeing their slaves even. And so the Jews for a long time enjoyed this, this unique, special relationship with God. But the new mission that is driving the growth of the church says this, that, hey, it is no longer just the Jews. The gates have been swung open for everyone. Come. God is telling the people, I want you to come sit with me at my table. He says, I want you to go to the ends of the earth and, and bring everyone that you can find because I want the ends of the earth in the holy of holies. I want you here with me. My love and my grace is open to you. I want, you bring, I want to bring you into that love and grace. Incredible mission. Today what I want to... Now, I know you've probably heard 
numerous sermons on the mission of God. What I want us to look at today, there are three things. I want us to consider the heart of God that is at the heart of this mission. I want us to think about what is God really getting after in his new mission? Whom is he pursuing? Whom whom is he trying to woo and bring to his table? What, What is he really doing in our world? Secondly, I want us to look at the kinds of people that God chooses to use in his mission. And I think that I think that we might be surprised to when we really sort of peel back the layers to examine the people that God uses in his mission. I think we might be surprised the kinds of people they were. And finally, I want us to see that you and I, we modern disciples of Jesus, that we too can be and in fact are on this new mission, on this mission that tells the world, you are welcome. Are you a Jew? Doesn't matter. You're welcome at God's table. You Gentile? Doesn't matter. You're welcome at God's table. You're rich, you're poor, you're free, you're slave, you're a Pharisee, a tax collector, prostitute. Doesn't matter. Come partake of God's love. Come partake of God's mercy and His grace. At His table, He wants you there. He loves you and He wants you. So you consider the new mission and this, this beating heart of God that is telling the world, I am open. I am here to receive you with arms wide open. Come to me. Come sit at my table because I love you and I want you in my presence. I want us to look at an example of this there in Acts chapter 10. Now, you're probably familiar with the story. It is the story of Cornelius. Cornelius... <clears throat> Cornelius was a centurion, okay? He was a Roman, not a Jew, but this is what we know about Cornelius, that he was a man who feared God, who worshipped him, who was thought well of by all the Jewish nation, and he worshipped God along with his entire household, but he was not a Jew. He was a Gentile, and what we see in Acts chapter 10 is God calling Peter, telling him, I want you to go to Cornelius' house and share with them the gospel of Jesus. But before that, I want you to see this because you, we have to understand that for in the Jewish mind, in the Jewish mind, in their attitude of the day, if you have had this rich history being the people of God, being, being entrusted with the oracles of God, with his law. He sent the Jewish people, his prophets. I mean, they have a rich, rich history going ways back. And so if you're a Jew, you're thinking, well, the Gentiles, surely they're not a part of God's blessing. And so before Peter can go to Cornelius' house, he's, he receives a vision from God. Now, you may remember this. It's one of my favorites here. But, but he sees a canopy of animals clean and unclean, because for the Jews, they had clean and unclean animals. And a voice from heaven tells Peter, Peter, rise, kill, eat. And Peter goes, no, never, never. I mean, there are unclean animals here. I can't barbecue them for sure. And God says, don't call what I have made clean, unclean. What is God doing? He's preparing Peter's mind for this engagement he's going to have with Cornelius and his family, who are Gentiles, unclean people in the Jewish mind. 
And God is telling him, hey, I'm sending you to them. Don't call them unclean. They are mine. And so then, then we have Peter. Okay, let's go. He goes. He arrives at Cornelius' house, and I want, to, I want us to pick up on the story there. Acts chapter 10. Let's start reading in verse 30. See what it says. <clears throat> and Cornelius said, oh, they inquire about each other. Okay, what brings you our way? Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. And guess what Peter does? He begins to tell them. He begins to tell them about Jesus. He, he gives them a brief history about what has happened, and he begins to tell them about Jesus. But uh, jump, skip forward to verse 44 with me. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter, Jews, read Jews there, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. In all of this excitement, I don't want us to miss this, that it is God's love that is driving this mission. I mean, look at the lengths to which God will go to ensure that his message gets across, gets to the ends of the earth. He, he's pouring out his Holy Spirit even on the Gentiles. And, and the Jews that came with Peter are going, whoa, we've never seen anything like this. And consider all the other things that God did to ensure that this mission advanced. Think of the apostles for a moment. God allowed them, he empowered them to speak in languages they never knew before. Have you tried doing that? You tried speaking Spanish without having taken a day of classes? Doesn't go very well. And yet God is saying, if that's a barrier, I'll break through that barrier to get to you. God empowers then the apostles to drive out demons, to heal the chronically sick. But one of my favorites is this. People who were strangers to each other five minutes before now become family like that. Isn't that amazing? We see that in the, towards the end of Acts chapter 2, that all of these people that had gathered there in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, they didn't know each other. And yet, we see a family formed there, God creating that family of complete strangers, but who now understand God's mission so clearly that they would be willing to sell their own possessions to help people that they didn't even know five minutes ago. Isn't that incredible? I mean, so, so, so what we see is that God would, would cross any mountain, any valley, any river, like the very catchy song, okay? But God didn't just sing about it. He did something about it. He crossed the mountain. He forded the valley. He crossed the river to say, hey, I will do what I need to do to open the way back to me. I want you to be with me. I want you to sit at my table. I want you to partake of my love of my mercy, of my grace, of my forgiveness. For too long you've been separated from my presence. I want you here with me. So I want us to really see the lengths to which God will go 
to advance his mission to let the world know, I want you, I love you, and I can use you. But then we consider the kinds of people that God used. Now, first of all, we know that God used the apostles, right? Now, if you're like me, maybe you're not, okay? But if you're like me, you think apostle, you hear that word, and, and you, you, you sort of have this image of, of saintly figures, right, on stained glass windows with sort of a radioactive glow on their faces. They can never do anything wrong. You know, they just walked around. They almost kind of hovered off the ground, right? Just these holy, holy men, just righteous men. I mean, we have their words in our Bibles. But who were these people really? Well, they were fishermen. One was a tax collector, right? Two of them were hotheads, right? And one of them had a sick mother-in-law at home. What am I, who were these people? They were just regular people, like you, like me. There was nothing extraordinary about them except for what the Holy Spirit of God did through them. That is what made them extraordinary. And so God chooses to use these apostles to drive his mission forward. They are, if you will, the forerunners, right? They're paving the way. They're blazing a trail. They're going ahead, preparing people's hearts and minds. But then who follows behind them? Somebody had to, right? Because guess what? There were a very limited number of apostles. What happens to the mission after they're gone? Come the disciples. They follow in their footsteps. Well, the mission rides on the shoulders of the disciples. It is the disciples of Jesus. It is these people, just again, regular, everyday folk. But in their case, in the case of the disciples, they didn't even have miraculous powers like the apostles. They couldn't necessarily drive out demons. There were, there were a few, but for the vast majority, they didn't have that. They didn't have the, the ability to speak in new tongues that they didn't know. And yet, God cho chose to use these very imperfect, regular, everyday people to carry his mission forward, to tell the world, hey, you are welcome at God's table. How do I know that? Well, he made me welcome at his table. Isn't that amazing? I want us to consider three, three people here, or three sets of people, rather. Speaking of disciples, the first is Lydia, this, this lady <clears throat> who is an early disciple of Jesus, and what we know about her is very little. We know that she's from the city of Thyatira, something, okay? Thyatira, but she's settled in Philippi. Her trade is selling purple cloth, okay? Purple was very expensive to come by. We think she was probably very wealthy, but that's not the point. The point is this, that she became a patron and a supporter of the apostles' ministry. See, Lydia, she was not a missionary, but she was on mission nevertheless, isn't that amazing? What about Priscilla and Aquila? I found this picture of them. I think, I think that's what they look like. <laughs> they were a faithful Jewish Christian couple that shared the gospel of Jesus with a man named Apollos. Now, Apollos, as we follow the story in Acts, we see that he would, come, he would become one of the influential leaders of the churches at Ephesus and Corinth because of Priscilla and Aquila. They were not missionaries, but they were still on mission nevertheless. You know, legend has it that the apostle Thomas, Doubting Thomas, 
Legend has it that he was the one that brought the gospel of Jesus to India, my homeland. And we've had many, many missionaries go to India, taking the word of God in every generation. But you know who were my missionaries who converted me? Those two right there. I was taken on a train in, in England. My parents. See, they both had full-time jobs, but there was not a single night we went to bed without praying together, singing hymns together, and reading scripture together. My entire life, as long as I lived under their roof. That's how we ended every single day. We virtually never missed an opportunity to worship with the saints on Sundays. And see, my parents were not missionaries, but they were on mission nonetheless. One of my fondest memories is this. that In, in India, we had a one-story house with a flat roof like most houses there, and there was, a set of there was a staircase on the side. And as the sun went down, my mom and I would kind of climb up halfway up the stairs, we'd sit down, and she would share stories, she would read stories to me from the children's Bible. One of my fondest memories to this day. She was not a missionary. My parents were not missionaries, but they were on mission in their own unique way. God used them in unique ways, in special ways, because they were just willing, like Lydia, like Priscilla and Aquila, like my parents, like the scores of disciples that have come before us. They just raised their hand and said, okay, I'll do what I, what I can, Lord. I can't be like the apostles. God says, doesn't matter. Because you don't have the power I do. I am sending you. See, what I want us to really grasp is this, that you don't have to be a missionary to be on mission. You don't have to be a missionary to be on mission. God wants you, and he can use you. So what does that look like then for us today? If we are a part of the same new mission of proclaiming to the world salvation in Jesus' name, what does that look like for us today here in Lubbock in the 806? We're not like the apostles. We don't have those miraculous powers. We're very much like the early disciples, just regular people. What does it look like for us to be on mission? And I want to propose to you three things, three ways in which we too can be on mission wherever we go, wherever we are. The first is this, pray. In Acts chapter 4, there's this, we read about Peter and John before the religious authorities, and they essentially, as they see the church just exploding in growth, they bring these two and they see them as leaders of this movement, and they tell them, you need to quit it. They warn them, they threaten them to not preach in the name of Jesus. Well, Peter and John return to their friends, and they tell them everything that happened. And do you know how their friends responded? Do you know what they did? Did they cower in fear? They said, Lord, you, you listen to their threats and grant to your servants that they may preach, that they may continue to preach your word with all boldness. They essentially got a cease and desist letter from the authorities and they said, yeah, whatever. You decide if we should listen to you or to God, but we can't stop talking. We can't stop talking about the things that we have seen and heard. They got, they understood the mission of God, that his gate was wide open now to the entire world. 
In the case of Peter, it took him a little while to understand that even the Gentiles were included. But they got it. And nothing was going to stand in their way. Nothing was going to stand in the way that, the, that God is doing in our world. That the Holy Spirit of God is the, the work that He is paving, that He's preparing in our world. Nothing stands in the way. And so the first thing I believe we have to do is to pray. Because the mission of God is sustained by the prayer of the saints and the power of the Holy Spirit. There is no mission without prayer. So that is the first step. Pray even in and among and amidst your fears. Pray. The second is this. Pay attention. Be perceptive. What do I mean by that? I mean that God is working around us in ways that we may not always know or be aware of. And so what we have to do as his disciples is to cultivate an awareness of what he's doing. Now, we talk about missions here at Sunset, and, and, and we talk about Mexico City, for example, where I served along with my family. We talk about, we talk about Egypt, and he's in all these different places. Do you know what's happening in Lubbock? Is God only working in Mexico? Is he not working here? We saw a nice promotional video for the children's home of Lubbock, right? Can you be on mission there? That's just a 10-minute drive from here, right? See, the, we disciples, we modern disciples of Jesus have to cultivate an awareness that God is in fact working here just as much as he's working overseas or abroad. So while you may never go on a mission trip short-term or long-term or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. We cannot fall into the trap of thinking that God is only working in the places where we have started a project or begun an initiative. Wrong. It is God's mission. He is working and it is our job to figure out, okay, what is God doing? Where is he working? And how can I be on mission with him? A great example of that is, is Philip. Okay, in Acts chapter 6, we read about Philip, and all it says about Philip's call is this, that the, the, the Spirit of the Lord said to Philip, get up and go talk to this Ethiopian eunuch, right? What was Philip's posture that he, he heard that call? He w I don't believe he would have heard that call if he hadn't been attentive, paying attention to what was going on around him. It was because he was that way that when the Spirit spoke, he heard the call. And he could go and he, and he preached the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch. And this guy, big shot in Ethiopia, worked in the court of Queen Candace. Who knows how many thousands, hundreds of thousands perhaps, heard the name of Christ because of what Philip did, because he was paying attention. And finally, we have to be ready. We have to be ready, <laughs> be prepared to be on mission, whether in a palace or in prison. And I say that because of this. There's, a, there's an occasion where Paul and Silas end up in prison. And w what we don't see them doing is moping around, going, well, woe is me. Look at me, suffering persecution for the sake of the gospel. No. You know what they're doing? They're singing. They're singing the gospel of Jesus. Imagine that. Paul encounters the religious elite, the educated guys of Athens at Mars Hill. We see this in Acts chapter 17. And you know what Paul does there? He says, hey, let me talk to you about the unknown God to whom you have an altar set up here. Paul was ready. Even when Paul was shipwrecked, 
I mean, he's shipwrecked for crying out loud. He almost lost his life. And you know what he's doing in the, in the strange territory where he finds himself? He preaches Jesus. Isn't that amazing? So what we see is that the new mission of God is not about a destination. It is about, hey, wherever you go, you be ready to preach the gospel, to preach Jesus. Wherever you land, you can be on mission. Now, whether, if that's in Mexico, great, I love Mexico. But if that's in Lubbock, you can be on mission here. God can use you here. I want to conclude this way. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we've seen that without God's heart, without his love for the people, there is no mission, first of all. But also we saw that God uses pretty unremarkable people <laughs> to carry forward his mission. And he makes their work remarkable because he is involved. And we've seen that you and I too today can be involved, can be on mission here in Lubbock without stepping foot across the border. And you may be hearing these things that I'm saying of, well, Paul preached the gospel, Silas preached the gospel, Philip preached the gospel. Maybe you're thinking, I'm not sure I can do that. Are you one of those people? You hear, hey, tell people about Jesus and you start hyperventilating, right? Uh, what do I say? Where do I start? What if I get something wrong? I want to encourage you with this. Tell people what God has done for you. Start there. Tell people how God rescued you, how he grabbed you from the pits of your despair and restored you to his presence. Start there. And if that's all you can share with people, what God has done for you in your life and how he saved you, glory to God, you are on mission. Whether you're here in Lubbock, in Mexico, any corner of the world, you are proclaiming to the people that God loves them and that he wants them at his table. I hope you're encouraged this morning that you don't have to be a missionary to be on mission. You can do that right here. And if you need more guidance as to what that looks like, if you need sort of seasoned voices to guide you and, and to kind of show you more tangible ways that you can carry that out, please come visit with one of our elders who'd be glad to help. God loves the world, and that is the same attitude that his missionaries must adopt. Come forward as we stand and as we sing.